This episode of Gundam at MAHQ is brought to you by Petco. If you have pets and you'd like to give them the very best, head over to Petco.com. And for any purchases that are $65 or more, you can save 10% off your purchase and also receive free shipping if you use the code Gundam or if you go to Petco.com slash Gundam. For any purchases that are under $65, you can save 10% just by going to Petco.com slash Gundam10 or you can use the code Gundam10 during your purchase. Like me, the majority of you guys out there have pets. Well, if you're looking for food, supplies, and even treats and toys for your pets, the best place to go is Petco. You got it. Hey, take care of them for me. Gun- damn, damn, damn! All right, everybody, this is a little quickie uh, edition of Gundam. It's actually a little uh, Gundam on location. Um, myself, Neo, and uh, Solbro here. Let's give a shout-out, Solbro. What is up, gang? Uh, we're at the 2008 Comic-Con that's uh, in San Diego, and we're just going to do a quick little 10, 15-minute uh, thing of what we saw today and some of the things that we were able to get and... Um, um, just some of our impressions. So uh, today was the opening day of the con, uh, J- July 24th uh, today, and a lot of stuff was going on. Very crowded. I'm sure you guys have seen some of the stuff on some of uh, some of the uh, TV stations and some of the websites out there. But um, some of the things that we got to see today was uh, probably the one thing that we did immediately when we got there was there was uh, a limited edition Gundam fixation. Uh, clear coat edition, actually a clear edition of the RX 78 uh, which um, myself and Solbro got standing <laughs> in line for, uh, what, about 45 minutes there, Solbro? It wasn't as long as I thought it would be. It was actually uh, a, um, a booth that was Bandai and Toyama, and they had a lot of cool stuff. We, we put up some pictures on the blog spot uh, earlier today, so definitely go to Gundam.net to ch- take a look at that. Uh, they have a whole facet of new figures in there, everything from uh, Macross to actual Robotech to Gundam to uh, Bleach and Naruto and One Piece and uh, figures like Bruce Lee and oh, Indiana wow. Jones and uh, Jack Sparrow. So we got a lot of cool picks there, and we'll probably get some more um, later on um, because I don't think we got everything. So uh, definitely take a look at that. Some other cool things that we got to see, um, anime and manga-related, uh, all of the all the manga publishers are out there in full force. Uh, CMX, uh, Viz, um, who else was there? Uh, manga, I, manga yeah, media man- was there. Manga entertainment was there. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, we didn't see too much on um, anything from the mech side, but that's kind of to be expected at times now. Um, we were able to go to a good panel. We got a recording of it. We'll be posting it probably when we get back to Florida. Uh, it's uh, it was a manga panel. It had a lot of translators and editors from the various manga publications, and it was pretty informative. Not too much with Mecha related in there, with that, with the exception of um, uh, Mark Simmons being on the panel. Uh, everybody knows him from his uh, Ultimate Mark websites and um, the originally the Gundam Project a couple of years ago, which um, I you know really implemented him into the um, the Gundam uh, production of Gundam in the United States. 
So what um, actually segues into the other quick little uh, thing that we got, we were able to sit down with him after the, um, after the panel and ask him a couple questions about Double O. It's a little inf- informal, so we'll be posting it up shortly too. Uh, the other, but unfortunately, while we were speaking to him, we were unable to get into the Bandai panel, which had a big thing, which was very crowded, and it had a lot of stuff dealing with Gurren Lagann, uh, Code Geass, and some other shows that Bandai is going to be putting out. Uh, but we were able to get the recording of the Robotech, not Macross, but Robotech oh boy. Um, panel. And they it was actually a very good panel because they went through kind of the whole history of Robotech. And, and they did an, enough nods to the original show. And, uh, yes, there was a question and answer period on there. And there were some pretty good questions that were asked. And uh, they talked a lot about... Uh, the new live-action movie that's going to be coming out, not doing too many spoilers, but just kind of um, giving us the basis of who's involved, and that was quite interesting. Um, so we'll be posting that out. There was also a lot of stuff with games. I, I know, you know, Mecha's not everything that we enjoy, but there's a lot of cool stuff there. Got to see the Street Fighter IV uh, arcade game. Unfortunately, couldn't take any pictures of it. But um, it was definitely, definitely very impressive. So any of the guys out there interested in fighting games, I know Solbro is going to try to play it later on uh, oh, this yeah. week. Oh, yeah. So, there's no question. Um, I'm going to be able to live it down if I leave Comic-Con and don't get to play that game. <laughs> but um, a lot of cool stuff. Um, a lot of stuff from Konami, uh, Castlevania. I'm sure there's lots of Castlevania fans out there. They have the, um, the new DS game on demo the also. New, yeah, the new DS game and the fighting game yep. are going to be there. I saw that too. Um, a lot of cool stuff from Bandai Namco, uh, the, the new Naruto game, Ultimate Storm. They had the it looked demo. really cool. Yeah. Uh, the Afro Samurai game looked, uh, looked, looked awesome too. Um, and what else was there? There was um, oh, just oh, just oh. a lot of little different things. There's going to be some more stuff going out. The sci-fi booth was there. Unfortunately, we didn't see anything uh, stating with um, anime, either with uh, Gurren Logging coming on or Double O, but um, that doesn't mean that they won't be um, showing anything or pushing that later on in the uh, later on this week. So, well, at the Bandai booth, they had all that Code Geass merchandise. Yeah, they had a lot of Kogia stuff. Um, we got some pictures of that, so there's definitely going to be a lot of stuff that for for people to take a look at. But um, other than that, um, other than the fact that I bought like about four models, and I'll probably be buying some more uh, for some folks um, back home, and probably for myself because I, I found an, a place that I purchased some last year. And uh, the guy's got some pretty good deals. But, Solbro, anything out there that um, was kind of impressive to you or anything that stood out might want to tell the folks real quick? Well, uh, um, I just noticed that uh, the Bandai booth is, kind of, is shared with other companies. So I didn't really get to see much when it came to merchandise for, um, for Gurren Logan. I don't know if there is going to be any merchandise for that show. but uh, There were some Gurren um uh, login uh, uh, merchandise and there's also some Gurren login models. Really? They're very small, but wow. the ones that I've seen, um, there's a. I haven't seen the show, but I've seen that I've seen the mechs and all mechs were represented. Nice. So I'm sure there's going to be some more. I, I did see the. Um, I'm sorry, I did see the Code Geass stuff, and I did like the the Toynami stuff that um, they have coming out with all the Robotech and uh, Macross. Uh, uh, Mecha that they're gonna have figures of. I mean, I didn't even see at the time when I was down there the Cyclones from Robotech, the uh, new generation. 
which are those transforming motorbikes that unless you're not familiar with it those things were the coolest things when you were growing up and now they actually have fully posable and transformable toys of them along with the figure of the character on each one well they showed them during the robotech panel and i freaked out i, I really want one of those uh they, they, they showed rand i want rook barkley bartley although i don't know if i'll be able to find her here but that uh, that was really neat and the fact that they have so much more on dot on you know just just getting ready to come out that um uh, and of different sizes and whatnot. It, it, it's exciting. I, I, as a collector, I, I, I'm 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 ready to go with that. Well, I will I will tell you this. I know from last year that, um, and I was telling you this earlier today, is that just don't go buy everything that's out there today. Yeah. So they 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 may be they may be putting some more stuff out. But I'm too broke um, for that anyway. So. <laughs> but um. But no, it's cool. Anything else? Um, of note, I mean, you would pretty much run over almost everything we did. I okay. really enjoyed the manga translator panel and. Um, Talking to Mark, that was really fun. Yeah, so basically on my end, uh, just seeing that there is there is kind of a push, especially in print, uh, some more um, some more media from uh, manga. Uh, like I said, not too much on the mech side, but there are a lot of new interesting titles. Um, I know that there's going to be some other panels that we're going to try to get into uh, later on this week and, and that might be um, of interest to, to you guys. Most of it's not really going to be too much mech related, but it's stuff, good stuff to know, anyways. But and uh, like we said, uh, we're going to be posting uh, some of those panels up later. We won't be doing that till we get back because um, we've got them all recorded. We're going to put them down, but try to figure out how we want to lay all that out. But um, we're going to get going on this. Uh, we're just making this a short little thing for you guys. Um, definitely post up some comments or questions on the Mechatalk boards. We're actually been checking them while we're there and we actually, you know, check gundam.net because we're actually doing some blogs and, and uploading some pictures. So yeah. we got some stuff up there. So uh, you guys take a look at it. So And V2 Buster, we will be getting some con chicks for you. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll get them all filmed. We'll, we'll try to see. Uh, hopefully hopefully tomorrow's crop will be a lot better than today's. Okay. But uh, Saturday's the big day for that one. Yeah, let's hope. Um but uh, for, uh, for Solbro, uh, this is Neo, and we're going to be signing off, and we will be back tomorrow with another l one of these little impromptu 10-minute uh, little podcasts here. So you guys check out everything, and if there's anything else, any other questions, hit us up on, Gun uh, on Gundam, on the Mechatalk forums under Gundam, and you can also do Gundam at MHQ, or GundamMHQ at gmail.com. So we'll see you guys tomorrow, and thanks. Bye. Peace. You're driving along, you're driving along, and all of a sudden the kids are yelling from the back seat, I gotta go to the bathroom, Daddy! Not now! Gun damn it! Did you order the code red? Gun damn right I did! Welcome back to Gundam at MAHQ. For our first panel segment, we attended the Manga Lawson Translation panel on our first day at Comic-Con that Thursday. And on the panel, there were several different people who work in the manga industry. And they went through their experiences with uh, just translating manga and what um, the audience has been looking for. And just, just a whole lot of in interesting information that um, we, some, of, some of which we didn't know about. On the panel um, were William Flanagan, um, Jonathan Tarbox, Mari Morimoto, Jason Thompson, Stephen Paul, Mark Simmons, and Julie Davis. And here's the segment. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to the Lost Translation Panel. Uh, 
This is somewhere around the 10th year that we've been doing this panel, and this is absolutely the first time we've done a, uh, the full house. So, thank you. Before we were doing things like a late, late Friday night and uh, early Sunday morning, so you know we, we could understand it. But you know, again, thanks so, so much, everybody. Uh, what we do here is uh, basically question and answer. We're pretty freeform. We don't have any you know movies to show you or anything like that. Sorry, but uh, we're here to um, you know answer your questions about how things are translated. Our panel is mostly made up of uh, manga and a few anime translators, uh, editors, uh, specialists, that sort of thing. And uh, let, let's go ahead with that sort of thing. Sorry. <laughs> um, so uh, let, let's uh, go ahead and pass the mic all the way down to Julie and, uh, and begin with the introduction of ourselves so you know a little bit about who we are. My name is Julie Davis, and I'm not actually sure why I'm here, because I'm not a translator. I'm an editor, but I've been working with translating material for a long time. Uh, I used to work on a magazine called In America. Uh, uh, before that, um, people may see a magazine called Canada, which uh, really reached back to the early 80s, early 90s, uh, professional fanzine, hello, professional magazine that was started with a fanzine going professional. Tell me about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we're working with uh, translating <laughs> interviews, articles on Japanese animation comics, and then we're working with this as a magazine editor, manga editor. I've been on that in Russia. my credit card. Lately, I've uh, been working a bit with the Stonebridge Press. Um, most recently on this book, Anime Classic Red Time, and that's my story. I'm um, Mark. I'm, I guess I would be the specialist that they'll refer to. Uh, my, my main credit is, uh, I actually worked with, uh, Bandai Entertainment on, uh, National Rights Gundam, Elton Gundam, I'm the author of Manga, The Complete Guide, 
And I also write short talk for USA Magazine, and I edit the Times and Manga, and I've also worked, I've worked in the manga industry for a long time, even though actually I'm, I'm not a translator at all. And that, so I should hang my head in shame. But, but, but I'll just pass it on to an actual translator over here. Jason is way too kind. Uh, my name is Mari Morimoto, and I am a translator and recently added the title of Rewriter. Uh, I've been with, um, I'm freelance, but I've been with Viz for about 15 years now. Uh, started out with Big Night Koku, then went on to things like Dragon Ball. I currently translate Naruto, Inuyasha, <laughs> and last but not least, Knights of the Zodiac. Any Saint Seiya fans out there? And about two years ago, I started working on a title called Dragon Eye by Kaede Kijama for Delray Manga. I also do, I'm glad there are some people who are reading it. The best title that's out there, they just happen to be reading. Um, but I also do interpreter work at various conventions, most recently at New York, and, uh, New York Comic Con with CN Revolution. But I work with, I'm from like, um, New York, and I've worked with a lot of Northeast conventions. And then finally, I've been doing uh, translation-related my name is Dave Carbox and I know how to project. <laughs> um, I got my start in the anime business with the glorious failure writing comics, if anybody's old enough to remember that. I'm a manga editor, manga translator, jack of various trades. Still. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Bill Farmigan. I uh, started uh, translating professionally back in 1991 for a fly-by-night company called Sun Comics. And I'm sure nobody but Jason knows, knows that. Um,
Um, I was, I actually am Japanese born, American raised, and I kind of grew up reading manga and watching anime as I grew up. In New York, there was a channel back then that showed things, and we still like Kinokuni and other Japanese bookstores even back in the 70s when I was growing up. But I actually got to college, and it turns out it was very much a providential being in the right place at the right time when my college advisor was actually the former thesis advisor for Matt Thorne, who's uh, one of the early giants of translating manga. Uh, he worked with this and with several other folks, I think. And uh, when he went off to uh, work on a thesis in Japan, they needed some people to take over some of the titles he had been working on for them, and that's kind of how I got my start. So I kind of grew up always loving manga and anime and always wondering if there was a place in it for me here in the U.S. because at the time and now I hadn't really anticipated ever working in Japan and my drawing was not So I kind of couldn't become a manga, but um, I wanted to work in the manga industry and fortunately I found a nice way to get my foot in the door. My start in the manga industry is very natural. I worked for the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> they headhunted uh, me to start writing comics. And then when this large American company that you remain nameless, which was a very good company, but when they were supposed to do all the translation production work and the and the relationship fell through, as businesses are wont to do, then all of a sudden the international communications director became the editor in chief. Um, I started uh, getting into, well, I started getting into anime and manga somewhere around 1984, uh, just before Robotech came out, so I'm a sort of Robotech generation. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, my knees were never very good, so I figured I needed a job that I, I was looking at 7-Eleven and figured I could get sit down. So I decided to go uh, learn Japanese and go into translation. <laughs> uh, the way to get started in the business was, again, just an accident. Uh, I was at a uh, convention where the um, uh, where some questioners were sort of hijacking the panel. And I raised my hand and asked a nice question that I knew the panelists could answer quickly and easily and get changed the subject. Yeah. And afterwards, I talked to the, uh, one of the people on the panel, and she turned out to be Raymond Beats' wife. And, and she introduced me to Raymond Beats, and Raymond Beats made a uh, recommendation to Torrance Smith. And Torrance Smith couldn't hire me, but he knew somebody was looking for talent at the time. So I was hired about that time. And, you know, that's how I got started in the industry, like, asking a nice question. I actually uh, got started studying Japanese when I was in junior high. Um, and I actually did not, it wasn't because I was interested in anime or manga or anything like that. It was just, it was an odd, uh, interesting lesson. Uh, and after I, I started learning and like, got really interested in it, I, I was looking for ways that I could like, learn faster and more directly than through textbooks and lessons. And uh, so I, I found out that there was a Japanese bookstore in the area and I bought some manga. I tried to start trying something about myself and uh, I just kept doing it over and over and over again. And I, kept, uh, I kept getting better and better until I uh, finally got uh, someone that I knew on the internet. Uh, 
And yeah, sometimes censorship, although that's often uh, dictated down from like very highest marketing people or, or uh, highest publishing people in the company, and the editors just have to deal with it. But yeah, um, so people like myself and Julie, we're, we're both the long editors, so we've both, uh, you know, we've both gone through, you know, funky literal translations and, uh, you know, and cleaned them up, and also we've gone, or ultimately indicated we've gone through crystal clear, awesome liberal translation, and we added a lot of crappy American slang. <laughs> um, but yours, usually that's the rewriter's job, and there aren't that many rewriters working in the manga industry anymore. Primarily because they cost a lot of money, um, and so no one can afford to use them. But uh, anyway, yes, so that's the difference between an editor and a translator. First, with terribly language specific for me to say that Meow is the only Pokemon who speaks English, he is of course the only Pokemon who speaks human language. But also, since he has a near monopoly on this, he only has his word for it that he's interpreting them
or uh, if you're, uh, or any any of the characters from School Rumble, extremely fun because they're all on screen, and so you get a chance to do all sorts of different types of dialogue. Uh, but that's a top-down answer, so I'm going to have to say it's Pollock and Mushishu. Uh, uh, basically, Pollock is uh, fun because it's just so well plotted, and uh, the art is beautiful to look at. And I, I miss doing, uh, I, I, I forget doing, um, to do some of the sound effects because I'm so into the dialogue. And, uh, and Mushishi is, uh, really hard to research, and you'll know when you when, if you pick it up and look at the notes on the back. It's translators do the uh, translation notes. Um, that it's there's so many details that you have to know to do it. But it's part of the thing that this took so much so many pains to do. The, the story's great, but there's so many things to do that you have to love it. That sort of thing. Thank you. Our works are our babies. Satisfy everybody in your own company, 
and you just end up making choices. Also, I mean, historically speaking, we've already made a big stride in the manga industry here in the U.S. in the sense that, for any of you who may have been around back in the very early 90s, we used to flip the pages so that they could be read American style. So left to right and go right to left. That's practically non-existent except for limited edition that you can find from the 90s. Um, censorship things have changed a little bit over time, but again, Sometimes it's actually out of the hands of the manga companies because even to this day, a lot of times manga titles get licensed after the anime has been licensed and sometimes after the anime is already airing in the U.S. And in that case, if you want, there's two thoughts. Do you want to make a more quote-unquote authentic to the Japanese version and then have fans complain that the same character has different names in the anime versus the manga? And you or, want the people obviously got it wrong. And, or we want to be faithful and yet have the same character have a name that doesn't appear in the Japanese. So there's that whole thing. Then there's the religious type of thing where the difference in Japan is that most, a lot of mainstream Japanese culture is a religious. It's very spiritual, but not necessarily religious the way that we see religion here in the United States. So they adapt a lot of Christian, especially Christian symbology into manga and anime, where for, for part of it it's just symbols, and part of it, you know, it is vaguely Christian, but it's not Christian the way that is necessarily respectful, but not respectful from the way that they're trying to disrespect. It's just that they're not Christian, so they don't see it the same way that Americans do, especially the right wing sees it. And the right wing already has a lot of issues with the way that religion is handled, or sacrilegious stuff is handled, in mainstream media, so they're even more scrutinous of something like anime, which they view as cartoons, which are supposed to be meant for children, which, you know, all people who are anime fans know that in Japan, anime is for any age. I mean, they're definitely age-specific, but you go from little kitties to very mature X-rated stuff. And it gets all grouped into stuff for kids here in the U.S. So, and these are things that are mostly out of the control of people even within the manga industry. But in order for us to be able to sell it to everyone here, we kind of have to think about the rules. One thing about censorship of manga that I've noticed on the time that I've worked in the manga industry is that, frankly, it's extremely inconsistent. Um, I mean, every company has their own rules. And frankly, these rules usually will change from month to month. So that, like, one day we like, like, you can't have, have naked breasts in a 16 month book, and other times they'll be like, oh, whatever, you know, that's fine. Um, so it's really arbitrary, company to company, and even just based on like whether there's some person who has to be the marketing director at the company at the time, and they're like, you can't sell this at scholastic bookstores, or if there's nudity in it, you know, and like a dude tied to a cross being attacked by a Nazi, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when I was visiting Hanakimi, there's a line, uh, there's like, a, there's an author's note where, um, where, uh, he's saying a Nazi note, he starts going on, like, you know, I really shouldn't say this, but I love Nazi uniforms. And, uh, so anyway, I think, uh, yeah, I think I was forced to cut that. Um, it's just, there's all kinds of things. One thing, though, that, uh, has to be borne in mind is that almost always the Japanese, um, artists and publishers are aware of the censorship. Um, it all has to go through them. And some artists are actually, some, most artists are pretty cool with this. Because
because um, their work gets censored in other companies too. Like a lot of stuff is published in um, Korea and, and like China gets censored. Um, and so most of them are fairly close to being censored in the U.S. Other artists actually can uh, will complain and will, will stand up for their work. Like uh, I believe uh, Ichiro Oda refused to allow uh, Sanji to, to have a lollipop in his mouth from the manga of one piece. So, uh, insisted it be a cigarette. Uh, in fact, he, he put out a cigarette in my hand when I... Um, so yeah, it, it's very flawed. It's very inconsistent. Um, I don't see any real end to that. You know. Actually, the, the whole thing about uh, Japan and the PTA uh, happened before Vince started publishing Video Girl Live. Right, so that so was the case of where it had been censored Japan. Right, we, uh, the fans wanted us to uh, get a pre-censored version of the, uh, of the artwork. And uh, there was a huge problem with asking Shueisha because Shueisha wasn't owning this at the time. And even if they did, it would still be a problem because if you ask them, you're saying, you changed it, you were wrong, you want the right, right one. And so it was hard, it, it couldn't be asked. It was a question that if you wanted any more licenses from Shueisha, it was a question you couldn't ask, but most of the fans here wanted it. So, uh, the, you know, so basically I made a mistake about lying. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry we can't ask the question, and got, got bashed pretty heavily for that. But, uh, you know, as it turned out, someone looked into it, and Shueisha didn't have the originals anyway. So we had to, we had to publish the Japanese censored version at the end of that. Yeah. Oh well. And Mark, did you have some good stories about uh, Uganda with the TV adaptation? Uh, I, I guess there's a couple different levels, uh, different varieties of this. One is the kind of the cultural censorship, where they'll just take, I think they do much less this now than they used to, where they just go to take out references in some Japanese. I mean, you know, I remember Star Wars is way back in the day, and they go sort of, instead of, you know, Honshu, it's Great Island, and instead of eating sushi, they have chocolate cake for lunch. Uh, <laughs> side by side with you, know, Dr. Fay is always drinking his spring water, but, uh, you know, so one is kind of the moral censorship, the other is the cultural censorship. I think the cultural stuff is much less so. People kind of are aware now that the stuff comes from Japan, and they kind of like that and want to learn about it. So similarly, I still think the changing of names is I think is the trend very much against that. But the uh, the kind of the morals and the language and so on, it's still, it, it's really a question of the venue you're trying to get it into. I think you'd agree with me that in fact, when it comes to cultural censorship, fans are way ahead of some publishers. Uh, so, you know, fans are ready for stuff that the publishers are, oh no, you can't do it like that, they, it won't sell. So and that's one of the issues that we have to kind of, no, no, fans want it like this. Like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. 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 Thank
I pretty much get at every single fanfiction panel. I do, and part of the reason why I do these panels. My main answer, the question is, how do I go about getting translation work? And the person who asked the question actually has some translation experience under his belt, but for also for any of you who don't and are hoping to get started, um, the main thing is you do need a, a good, solid background in both the English language and the Japanese language. And in addition to just taking language classes here in the States, I hardly recommend at least spending a semester, if not a year or more, in Japan, because a lot of translation work is nuances and cultural references in addition to just pure language. And that's why I also say you need a very strong background in English because, especially in these days and ages where, as Jason mentioned, there's not as many companies hiring separate rewriters, you're often asked to rewrite your own work. So you need to be able to do grammatically correct, make sure you can spell it, make sure you can do all the reference, cross-references and, and translation notes and so forth. Um, in addition to that, though, is definitely something that, um, and now I'm like fully school is really spinning, but if anyone you want to. Oh, yes. Um, you want to come to cons like this one and make contacts with different companies, make contacts with people, and not necessarily other translators. You want contacts with editors, with licensing folks. Uh, oh, now I remember. The biggest thing is if you really want to become a translator, be a translator of legal documents, medical documents, business documents. That's where the real money is. Long translation, for the most part, is a work of love. And especially for people who live in big cities like San Francisco, New York, LA, San Diego, San Diego, you can't live on a manga translator's pay alone unless you have a spouse, family money, or a day job. <laughs> you know, and you know, most of us have at least one, if not more than one of those. So it's, it's really hard, and it, it really is a labor of love. And I know all of you want to do it because you love it too, but it really doesn't pay all your bills. Oh, I'm kidding. Um, um, the, easy, the best way to uh, make your contacts in the industry is to be a nice guy. To go up to, uh, uh, basically go up to meet, meet editors, as Mari said. Um, you, you want to, you know, be friendly. You don't want to tax them too much, so you don't want to just stand there with a smile on your face while hoping that they're going to make conversation. Uh, all you ever do, all you want to do at a, at a convention is make contact, ask them if there's a way to get started, and then find out the, the, the way to submit and have a business card. You don't want to have anything more than a business card because they're traveling back to their their place, and the, uh, and you know the, the first thing that gets dumped. Uh, you know, in the trash can because they can't pack everything is the people they don't know. So, uh, a business card is easy to carry, so, uh, I, you know, no big um, proposals or anything like that. Just hand, hand, hand it over to make friendly conversation. If you get it off, great. If, if you don't, move on to the next level. Sure, that's okay. I don't want to ask one of the other panelists who best to do that, I think it won't. Did I want to ask one of the other panelists who best to do that? Should I get one? Okay, hold on a second. Was there anybody else who wanted to answer this one? Okay. All right, go ahead, Tish. No, I'll ask you to the answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, and, uh, 
Um, and, you know, now, this, uh, thankfully, Del Rey is giving me mostly fantasy and love comedy kind of things with School Rumble and uh, Fairy Tale. Can't get much more fantasy than Fairy Tale. So, I'm a happy guy. <laughs>
until, until all the French comics start becoming big in America, I'm out of luck. In my day job, I go English uh, to Spanish and English as well, but I've never tried manga. And I do do English to Japanese for verbal interpretation. All I know is Japanese is a little Latin. You know you get Latin part of it. It's just terrible, huge demands, which it is, 
but uh, there's a case of like how long it's going to stay that way, just like the anime, it's been, it's been on a downturn for quite a while because of the downloads. So it's a question of whether or not it's going to have a long-term effect. It may not happen this week or this month this year, but it could eventually start to feed into the actual what books are on the shelf. Because like what happens to be in orders this month is not necessarily what's going to be there next year at the same time. Orders may not be there next year. Because print publishing in general is undergoing a lot of transformation with online media becoming more of a thing. So what we have right now, it's important to remember this is all very temporary. You know, the industry is constantly changing. Just the time that any of us have been doing this work has changed immensely. You know, from you know the, the manga that you know, we used to have to flip the other way, you know, all sorts of things. It wasn't digital, you used to do it by hand on stats, you know, it was completely different. What's gonna be available next year, you know, anybody's guess. The thing to remember about, you know, your as Omar is pointing out, your free downloads is that it doesn't give it back to the people in Japan. So even if the industry here dries up, it's important to remember that you know, there's still the industry there, but you say to yourself, what happens if the industry there goes away? And in Japan, the manga business is in a bit of a depression there, too. It's kind of important to remember that their, you know, the original source material, they have a market that's being sub-licensed to our market, and that they're operating with them independently of each other. So it's like right now, anime and manga in Japan are kind of not as high as they were at one point. You know, that's going to trickle down too. So it's always changing. So anytime you see something online, you know, prove people right, support it, go out and say, yo, I bought your paper product, it's going to get back to somebody, you know, in terms of popularity. And, uh, you know, go to the websites and, you know, go, you know, on the official boards and prove that you, who, I love this stuff, you know, but, and give me feedback any way you can think of. But the thing with uh, underground fandom, you know, if it's online, you can do it for free, you can be as handy as you want, but it doesn't get the message out to you who are actually producing it, who are actually trying to make a living off of it. That's the one thing to remember. But it's like, you can still enjoy it, but it's like, you can drive it back to the underground where you won't be able to get more and more and more. Okay, I'm really sorry to the last person with the question. Thank you very much. With the both, but we're out of time. We've got to stop. Yeah, that's the number. Oh, uh, we don't have food, we're freelance. So, <laughs> Go away, Todd. If you want to come in, you are going to have to break down the Gun. damn door. Striking out on finding your favorite manga, anime, or series merchandise nearby or online? Lost when it comes to finding pop music from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian markets? Well then, Florida Oriental Trading is here to help. If you live in the Central Florida area, head on over to the intersection of Colonial Drive and Mills Avenue near downtown Orlando. You'll find FOT right next to the CVS Pharmacy. For those who live abroad, find out more about our favorite store online at FloridaOrientalTrading.com or call them directly at area code 407-895-0650. FOT carries a large selection of merchandise such as art books, t-shirts, posters, wall scrolls, soundtracks, PVC figurines, models, and much, much more. Also, it's a great place to find imports of your favorite musical artists and the latest films from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian countries. Last but not least, Florida Oriental Trading is not only home to the best selection of anime on DVD in Central Florida, but there you'll find a wide variety of manga too. On top of that, all of their manga is always priced at 20% 
20% less than retail daily. 20%. That's right, Frank. 20%. Florida Oriental Trading is open every day except Wednesdays from 10 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You even find them open most holidays. So if you're local, stop on by and visit Quan and Debbie or give them a call at area code 407-895-0650. And give them the business. Tell them Gundam at MAHQ sent you. I'll be damned if I'm going to clean up this mess. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is uh, Neo, and for our next uh, uh, panel segment, um, it's actually not a panel segment, it's more of a, like a live interview. After the manga Lost in Translation panel, which included Mark Simmons, uh, we were able to kind of track him down and ask him a few questions right after his panel. So bear with us a little bit, because it's actually recorded in the hallway of the convention center on a, on a regular recorder, so if you hear any background noise uh, with people, or if it's, the audio sounds a little low, that's the reason. Just kind of asked him a few general things about Gundam and the release of Gundam 00 in America. It's, it's about 10 to 12 minutes long, so you guys enjoy, and we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. This is Neo right here, and uh, we got to um, corral uh, Mark Simmons, and everybody knows him from uh, Gundam Official and uh, all the Ultimate Mark um, Wikipedias and all that back in the day. Um, we're going to just kind of ask him a couple questions here because I know he's got some things to do. It's right after one of the panels here. But, Mark, you were saying earlier that you're back with Bandai. <laughs> yeah, you know, we had this thing going, and then we sort of fell out of touch, and now we're now everything's okay. Um, they, uh, when they started production on the Gundam 00, they hired me back on. So, yeah, I, I hadn't been doing a lot of stuff because there hadn't been a lot of Gundam right. stuff to do. Um, Oh, well, I know that what's coming on on Sci-Fi in November, what's some of the other things that they're going to be doing in conjunction? Do you know, or can you say, or...? Uh, I don't think there's anything else that I either know about or can talk about. So you can either sort of read that as me being yeah. deeply ignorant or really okay. knowing all sorts of good stuff like that. So I guess you could kind of say that uh, the anime is probably not the only thing that we're going to see. Um... Uh, the main thing, as far as I know, it will be on the Sci-Fi Network, and then there'll be DVDs, and then you can buy it, and and they'll pay me money, and everybody wins. Any reason why it went to Sci-Fi instead of Cartoon Network, or is that something you can't discuss? Uh, it's something I don't know about. Okay. So. Uh, I guess is everybody excited that it's back on television? Gundam's going to be back on television over there at Bandai? Because it seems like there's a big push. Um, we were here earlier at the con, and the Bandai panels, or the Bandai boost got a whole bunch of stuff, uh, you know, pushing, especially Kogias and, uh, and Gundam. So we're just kind of wondering if there's going to be a renewed thing. Um, I don't think there's going to be the same kind of merchandising level push there was for the early ones. I mean, things like you know, G Gundam and Gundam Seed, it's like they have the toy lines, they have the whole thing ready to go, and it didn't go. So I think this time, probably everybody would be really happy just to have Gundam on television, because that's good for video sales, yeah. and video sales are good for the franchise. And so if that does really well, then maybe, maybe, maybe someday there'll be the toys again. That's, that's what I'm hoping. Well, I'm a big fan of yours way back in the Gundam Project days, um, but I just have, well, I have a question. How did you get your start with Bandai originally? 
originally, well, originally I was uh, running the, the Gundam project, my old website, and uh, I think it was actually at uh, maybe an anime expo, sort of in the late 90s, when they, Bandai first started up its U.S. branch, and they had that whole anime village thing. I don't know if anybody remembers, I don't know if anybody should remember, but they're like, oh, hey, you're that guy who does that Gundam site. Come here, we want to talk to you. And uh, basically, they, since it's a big franchise with 20 different shows and a lot of jargon and babble and so on, they just wanted to have somebody on board who could write about it intelligently and maybe, like, it would just know what all the stuff is. And as time went on, that kind of became my, I guess my kind of formal role is to be the guy who would go, is this right? Is this a reference to some other show? Is there some way we should be phrasing this? As, as time goes on, every Gundam show gets more and more self-referential. Right. And it's sort of hinging on more and more continuity, where it's like, is that guy quoting Char? Is this like your know, reference to something else? Is that the same thing they mentioned in that other episode? And then when they do the video games, like, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Muso, Gundam Muso? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the Dynasty Warriors one yeah. here in the U.S. Yeah, where it's like they're referencing 20 different shows and dropping lines of dialogue. Like, oh, that's from episode 33 of Double Theta. So uh, I'd like to think that I can offer that, but I, at the same time I kind of feel like part of this is also that in Japan at Sunrise, where your know, Gundam is their crown jewel, and just... They, they kind of want to have some kind of quality check, and for some reason they think I can provide that. And I live in fear that one day somebody from Sunrise is going to sit down and look at them, some stuff I've been doing, the advice I've been giving, the feedback I'm providing, and go, what the heck? How did this clown get into the building? I'm doing it all wrong! So, okay. Well, that's good, but I got, I got one other question here, and we'll let you get going. And this is something that everybody... Okay, we'll do a fanboy question with uh, Solver before we leave, but it, we're coming up on 2009 which would be the, seven, or the 30th anniversary of Mobile Suit Gundam. And there's lots and lots of rumors out there. Um, I know you probably can't say anything if you know anything, but can you kind of maybe point us to the direction that there may be other things or maybe return to Universal Century? See, this is the thing. is I don't actually know much about the marketing side of this, right. so I can't answer this question. Right. But refusing to answer the question makes it sound like a no-cool stuff I can't tell you, so I'll yeah. do that. And then you all think I'm really important and connected. Well, I, I didn't know if, because um, it, it just seems like with uh, the renewed, you know, with Double O, I mean, personally, Solbro and myself did not think that it was going to be coming over to the U.S., especially be shown on TV, um, because of what happened with uh, Destiny and, and Gundam Seed prior with some of the viewership. So we were just kind of wondering if you had known anything or, you know, that there, there's talk that, you know, there's a renewed push that Gundam's now very, um, very popular again seems in the States, but um, I didn't know if you knew anything. I know that's more probably Sunrise than uh, Bandai Entertainment at this time. And I think that at this point, it's probably unrealistic to make grand plans to uh, like, you know, make Gundam a huge franchise, you know, the overall Gundam brand name in the States. I think it's probably the most people should be hoping for now is that Double O will succeed on its own terms. Yeah. You know, and it's got a, a, a well-known, well-regarded director, there's a second season coming down the pipe, and if, if Double O succeeds on its own terms, I think that's a win for Gundam in, you know, in, in the West right now. The overall franchise, I think, in Japan, 
Oh my god, we're probably going to get one new award. Out! <laughs> but I, I, I don't know of, and I would be really surprised if there's a corresponding like classic Gundam push in, in the US. I think right now if people watch Double like it, buy the DVDs, then that's great, that's good, and then we'll kind of go from there. So I guess you'd probably say that uh, baby steps are probably the best thing for uh, it's read it, Gundam's reintroduction into the U.S. then. Speaking of a private individual, not a Bandai or Sunrise spokesperson who's just shooting my mouth up here, uh, yeah, that would be great. I think just having a good show that succeeds, I mean, because that's how Gundam in the U.S. basically launched. It launched with Gundam Wing, which was a show that came out of nowhere, got a good time slot, got some attention, people responded to the characters, not because there was a 20, 25 year franchise behind it, not because there was a brand, you know, big branding push, but just because it was a show that was on that people liked. It was entertaining. Yeah, hell yeah, Gundam, Gundam Wing was great, it was yeah. a good time. It made a generation of Gundam fans, frankly. So, you know, I, I think maybe at this point, given the number of options that people have, the competition, the number of things that are on the air, the different ways people have access to anime now, it's unlikely you'll see something like that again, but just to have to have Double O just achieve some popularity, be successful, would be a win for Gundam, for, for all of us, for the children. For the children. I'm not sure. <laughs> One last thing on Mobile Suit Gundam, and I'm going to put it over to uh, Soul Bros fan uh, fanboy question, is will it, will, um, is, I know it's available in HD and Blu-ray over in uh, Japan. Are they going to be bringing that format over? Uh, for the American releases. I think that the releases are what, like in November or December is what I read, uh, kind of in conjunction when it's shown. Uh, you should totally ask the Bandai guy that. I, I don't know. Don't, don't they have a panel today? Like at five or something? You should totally ask them. Tell them I sent you. Okay, no problem. <laughs> well, I'm going to give it to Soul Probe so he can do his fanboy question. We'll let you get going after that. I just got to say that um, Gundam The Origin was one of the best, my, to me, my favorite adaptations, it's, um, it's my favorite adaptation of Mobile Suit Gundam. I love it, I love it, I love it. I'm sorry it's not being going on right now, although it's still going on in Japan. But I just have a generic question. What is your favorite Gundam series? Oh, you know, I used to have a list. Um, I, 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 the last time I sat down to do this, I had like a top three that I loved equally. I think they were original Gundam, especially the movies. You know, it was just, you get that beautiful, fluid Yaz animation. It's so emotional. It's fresh. It's not a copy of a copy of a copy. And I love Victory Gundam. That was a, that was like one of the only Gundam shows that really made me like cry like a baby at the end. It's heartrending. That's a show you need. What's it? Some uppers when you're watching this. <laughs> Every episode is a guaranteed death. I, I can't watch Victory Gundam unless I'm in the mood to cry. And, and, and I haven't been lately. <laughs> although although we we have this segment on the show where we actually review um every Gundam series we're doing in uh, chronological order of production and eventually we have to get to Victory Gundam so I'm, I'll have to sit down with that show again but um, any other ones has, has your list changed since Double O has come out? I think with Double O it's not over yet. You know, something like Full Metal Alchemist, you know, from the same director, Mizushima, 
was so intricately structured that you know it's not until the last piece of form that Lacey can really evaluate it. But the one other Gundam show for which I have a huge, deep fondness, G Gundam. Yes. Crazy, crazy. And it pushed the envelope in a way that really none of the other alternate universe shows have done. Yes. After G Gundam, anything you did with Gundam was in genre. It was, and um, I, we're big fans of G Gundam. I actually, I did not want to watch that show until Neo here convinced me to watch it, and um, we, I sat down and watched it, and I was bowled over. But um, G Gundam is in our top. Um, but thank you very much for answering um, that question of mine. I just always wanted to know. And um, my, oh, my favorite um, out of UC, my favorite is Zeta, and out of AU, it's X. X, as as, as short as it is, I love X. But um, I'll pass it back to Neo. I, mine would probably have to be probably along the same lines. I'm actually um, I'm X, and then probably G Gundam and alternate, and then Zeta, and uh, actually actually I always say Mobile Suit because without it you wouldn't have the other ones. So that's that's the default. As cheesy as it can be at times, but um, you know, but normally Zeta, Zeta for the UC, and then X and. X and uh, G for alternate. Gundam X. Gundam X has a lot of fans. Yeah, and it's. I saw it's coming back. They did some mangas and re-releases in Japan for it. So, that's nice. But, <laughs> but thanks for your time, and uh, we really look forward to uh, you know talking to you again sometime. So, all right. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much. You see us uh, struggling in the car. You walk up. You open the door, and you say. You're lying, George. Oh, uh, hey you, get your damn hands off her. You really think I ought to swear? Yes, definitely, damn it, George, swear. Hey everybody, uh, this is Neo again. Welcome back to Gundam at MHQ. Uh, our next panel segment is actually the Robotech panel, and uh, it was a kind of an act- uh, interesting panel to go to. Um, they talked a lot about the history of Robotech, and uh, they talked about a lot of the new marketing and a lot of new product offerings that they're going to be doing now in America and how the popularity of Robotech has increased since the release of Shadow Chronicles about a year or so ago. So, um, and they actually have um, a little question and answer period, and there are some questions about Macross, so for any of the Macross people out there, they do reference that a little bit. So, it was uh, recorded in one of the large large, uh, calls, and, uh, you know, once again, if there's any little background noise or anything like that, just just excuse it. But um, uh, here it is, and we'll be back in a little bit. Uh, Robotech, now tell me a few 
called television executives, it just is. Uh, what happened was uh, some, uh, a one uh, gentleman, uh, Hans Lamont, actually told us, uh, I think it was Ryan Bush, that we were just taking over this room, you know, basically just sort of material the military, and uh, basically it was just not there anymore. And so, uh, in 
they were one of the strong publishers that survived the shakeout. And we actually sent him uh, a pre-release just to have a take a look, see if uh, he would be interested in All of a sudden, he contacted us right away and he was totally excited to get back on board. And now we have a world publishers once again. And this artificial release was such a huge success for them. Uh, they were actually at one point on the way to go business because they had a investment issue. But what happened was this book had done so well, it actually uh, brought people back on its feet. And now they're releasing more editions right away. They've got, they're starting to do large hardcovers again, and they're starting to do source books. And here's some examples of their new Mantra Saga role-playing uh, They're not just going to recycle and reprint the original material, they're actually redoing it from scratch. And what's nice here finally is uh, Kevin had noted that at the time, for the main years, there wasn't really any work in his past supervising production uh, licenses. However, this time around, we were able to get production materials, model sheets, even unpublished designs that were not even published in Japan. And now we're uh, ending up with just fantastic new material for the new market. And this is also driving all sorts of new merchandise that we haven't had in years, uh, not since uh, the 80s, which is where we accessories, chocolate, some of which you see up here. So some of you lucky folks in the audience will get a chance to get And uh, also novels, which we really might find where we had dozens of novels, uh, of which uh, we had to go on TV, really those were a lot of trouble. Now we've got it all precisely organized into four complete novelism editions. You can get the entire book to see the story of it. It's very easy to find hands on any of the story. And uh, for those of you who are still school gaming, uh, what's interesting is now most of the advanced levels that you have are about as powerful as being really advanced. And now we have old school size scroller games available. And we have the largest distributor in the U.S. and Canada, uh, AT&T and Rogers, respectively. And we just recently had a spring. So those of you in the audience right now, you guys are being spread right now for that number. Uh, you'll, get, uh, you'll get the game as we speak. And uh, another small nice thing in the industry uh, that kind of came full circle is uh, it was the one fan magazine that I followed World Tech for the last couple of years. And what happened was that World Tech gradually uh, kind of faded from the public media in the 90s. World Tech addicts had found its voice online as anime news network, and it is now the biggest anime essentially anime news network available out there. However, when their 20th anniversary came up, it was nice of them uh, to coincide with their market. Now, of course, the reason why you're all here is, what is this story? What is the story? We've got a little bit back on TV. That was one thing we really working hard on, getting it back available on television. Right now, it's on cable channels and satellite channels. We're working hard to see if we can get more revenue for viewers. 
And you can ask for these additions. We're not going to be going to these on the that doesn't And one of the biggest requests we have, cyclones, or if you like the Japanese current mosquitoes, uh, we've uh, got these smaller units currently available. Uh, I believe on what scale is it? Like a 150 scale? I don't know if they have a budget. Uh, yeah. But they have a Uh, for all UPS3 and PSP owners out there, you can 
now deeply analyzed. It's actually a watchtower, which is uh, very impressive on uh, Sony's products, and it's also available on Apple's products. So if you have one of those iPhones, you're going to be able to download that. Uh, 
this was our This was going to be our next new big project to drive all the new low-tech devices. Of course, something happened since last year. Uh, some of you may have heard the rumors on the internet. Uh, how many of you heard the rumors about uh, a company uh, much bigger than any of the candidates who Show of hands. Okay, it's not everybody, so some of you are going to be the most positive. Oh, 
side that we've blown away from this. But uh, of course, because we're at the beginning stages of production of this project, actually not even production of the developers, uh, of course, we can't do this service quite yet. But we can hopefully for the customers. And the earliest people who are in line to graduate my school prizes get the way so, okay, go ahead. So, before we actually begin, uh, we need everyone to just make sure you ask only one question. No closing partners, no follow up questions, and then come here and just take a prize out of this right here. And then if you have a second question, you know, just go to the back and then we'll get for everyone else so they can ask for So, let's go ahead. I think so. As you talked about, uh, one of the things that the tie of the stands over the long and empty year with the comic book. I'm wondering if there are any plans for future comic books uh, that fit in Shadow Box Chronicles with the You know, uh, we're kind of in an interesting situation where Craigslist uh, and Shadow Chronicles was actually a big hit overseas where right now it's being reprinted at TV on in China and it's also being reprinted in uh, Latin America. Uh, one of the things uh, that's happened is because so many people have been looking for it, we found out that on eBay, individual issues were going for as high as $80. And uh, so one of the things we're working with is not just trying to get more those to be public. One of the issues that came up was uh, one of the things that did really look is comedy. It happened a few years ago. The comedy comics were kind of hard to find.
We were actually working on that before. Uh, we have the interest to start to release some of the other macros variants, but the main problem is uh, the rights issues. You're, you're still having problems back in Japan with those So, uh, and whatever that gets cleared up, we have to see more macros. But we don't know. Question is, uh, is how much is the music? You know, there's a big difference in like. Uh, have music be very individual in the last Right here in the department, one of those angels announcements, but uh, right now at this time we can't. 
Wait, I'm in 6B. It's kind of a suggestion for the story so long. Oh, they're in 6 E and F? They do. We mean, they do use like two models of this, and I think they're going to be in 6B. Okay. So you're not coming to 6B? You're not going to be coming to 6B? Like, 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 since this first one is only a big surprise, you know, one of the uh, things I noticed with these projects like Animatrix or Rock Online is usually they work better uh, after the first one has already been out when the universe is Sounds 
top of this, like Harry Potter or the cell phone books. So, you know, I don't know if they'll take me to that threshold. Maybe you'll mind when the live action film comes out. But, yeah. but right now, at this moment, uh, I don't think it's quite up to that threshold yet. I wanted to ask if you could, Thank <laughs> you. 
you've noticed every single like quote unquote announcement about prototype movies has been through leaks or uh, you know just spy reports and we were actually trying to keep this under wraps for as long as possible but you know so so far we haven't even had like official announcements outside of uh, anime conventions. So for those of you uh Coming back to Comic Con tomorrow, uh, definitely visit Tomiyama's Rotate Exhibit in the main hall of the community. That's a cool way to get to the end of the day. And uh, also, we have in the mezzanine, we're also organized. We've got the Boats and Cash Fan Club. This is uh, organized by uh, local Southern California fans. And uh, someone that we're trying to organize to have up here tomorrow is Carl Mason. And also, James Perillo, voice of the in the Spanish version of the And uh, also, the crowd here right now, we have our very own go to composer, Scott Glasgow. Where is he? Scott's over there. Uh, 
swooping and screeching and diving around the car. And a voice was screaming, Holy, Holy Jesus, Jesus, what are these goddamn animals? Welcome, everybody, to the second installment of Gundam at MHQ at Comic-Con 2008. Um, actually, we were going to kind of name... Uh, name this episode the uh, hurricane day as in hurricane uh, work day if people in down in florida would know this when the hurricanes are coming you always get that day off because of the hurricane because uh, today is actually kind of the calm before the storm um, we had a lot of stuff going on this week uh, on thursday and a lot of panels and a lot of things because it's the opening of the con but uh, from past experiences from myself and you know just from the lineup that we had to do today Friday's a little light, so there was a, some things there that we checked out, um, but, you know, for the most part, uh, any of the big things, there was only about one or two of them, and it seemed like everybody and their brother was there, so um, definitely got a lot more picks for um, everybody, going to be uploading those when we get back, um, especially dealing with a lot of the manga, a lot of the anime, and a lot of the stuff, more detailed stuff from the Bandai boost. Um, got some... Uh, actually got to see my, for myself the first time today in one of the anime viewing rooms is the Gurren Lagann and ended up buying the f Volume 1 uh, later on. Uh, I know Solbro had got to do his the thing that he wanted to do the most here and that was to actually play with with his little paw, two paws. <laughs> what game was that? Oh, well, it's the Viva Pinata. Yes, Viva Pinata. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Um, no, um, my nomenclature comes from um, the lad part of it. it. Comes from Street Fighter. Um, I got to play um, Street Fighter Four, the notorious um, new game from Capcom, and I it was it was a lot of fun. Um, although I got to play for probably about a total of maybe four minutes. And well, well, I, well, let me ask you this. I, I know that there's a lot, probably a lot of fighting game fans. 
uh, within MegaTalk and within um, MHQ. Just quickly, what are some cool points that they may want to just kind of know from your quick experience with the game? Well, it plays a, to me. It plays a lot like the Alpha series, or namely Street Fighter Alpha Two. Um, I really didn't get to spend much time with it. I did pick. Um, I picked Abel, which is one of the new characters, a mixed martial artist character. And the person I fought against picked Rufus, which is another new character, um, big fat guy in the yellow suit. Um, but it was. Um, it felt familiar. It wasn't floaty. Okay. Um, and it was fast paced, just like you would expect the Street Fighter to be. Good, uh, I have it shows a lot of promise, and I can't wait to play the oh, that's the cool. home version. But um, yeah, other than that, um, I know uh, I had checked out a few things, um, you know, within a lot of the network booths, um, with especially with Sony Pictures, there was a big thing dealing with the new Star Trek movie, um, and they're just doing kind of a sneak peek on that. Um, what was it? Warner Brothers was had a bunch of stuff with uh, the Watchmen, and there was a, a little spacecraft there that we got some good picks on. Yeah, for, um, I'm not sure about what's going on with Star Trek, but there's some viral game going on at the yeah. con right now. We have I actually, I actually code. think that I actually think that Saturday and Sunday. I actually think Saturday is the big day for that. Actually, we were left when we were leaving the con today. Um, there was a skywriting in the the six. Um, and I think it has something to do with the game. Apparently, you have to decipher some code and you have to find six different people in order to find out what the code really means to become a part of some kind of construction crew um, in order to find out some information about the movie. It seems interesting, but I doubt we'll have time to play. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it was definitely uh, a lot, you know, it's, Friday is always kind of an in-between day, um, you know, from my past experience of being here. So it wasn't too out of the ordinary, but uh, there was a lot of good stuff. Got Got a lot of good picks for you guys. We're going to put a few up um, and, you know, today, but yeah. when we get back, we'll definitely kind of organize because I, I, I think I probably took almost 200 photos today yeah. with my camera. So Actually, the, the grouping would be kind of rough, but when, when we get back, we can straighten it out. I'm just going to... I'm, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put up a good chunk of them tonight, and you guys can just decipher through them. But uh, but Saturday is kind of big day. There's a lot of a lot of um, a lot of different panels. I think we're gonna kind of split up on certain things, and uh, you know do some things there. Um, we're not gonna make any promises at this point of what we're gonna see because it, uh, anybody that's ever been to. Uh, Comic Con knows that it's sometimes very difficult to get in some of these panels. I.e., yeah. um, I Brothers. was trying to get in the Venture Brothers today, and we were there an hour and a half, an hour and twenty minutes before the panel even started. And the mile went about a mile long. Yeah, I went outside of the convention center, yeah. so there was just no chance. And we had actually were, were in the ballroom the day before for the Robotech panel, and we just definitely knew that wasn't going to happen and and that's a huge room too it's not the biggest room but it's it is a very large room it's yeah, a very decent so, size room and we were going to do the same thing with um there was a dc panel for uh, crisis on infinite earth and uh you know same thing but definitely myself i picked up some stuff uh a lot of udon stuff from the street fighter got a cool book um got some other few things um but other than that, just really went around and finally was able to get a lot of the pictures. Um, I know we picked, we put some of them up earlier, but it's got a lot more detailed stuff, especially with um, the Bandai booth. I, we sat there for a while and really got some good pics of all the all the figures in that um, Toyama oh, yeah. uh, booth there. So, 
But um, that's about it. Anything well, else, Soul Bro, before you we sign off here? Well, I had a quick run-in with um a legendary Robotech figure. Um, oh, Paul, that's right. Carl Masick. I actually ran into him today, and he was really cool. I didn't have much time to talk to him because he was actually leaving to run off to a panel or to, to head off. But um, he, he gave me a business card, and um, he was really cordial. And he was there for a while signing autographs. I didn't know where he was exactly, but I just happened to... Walk down to the. You didn't the, get his autograph. I, I, you know what? What killed me is that I have a book called Robotech Art One, big beautiful book that was printed in 1985 with nothing but line art and story synopsis from every episode of Robotech, and I could have brought that to have him sign. I already had it signed by Tony Oliver, the voice of Rick Hunter. I if I don't know oh what why I didn't bring it, but anyway, um, long story short, he was really cool. No, you didn't have him sign anything. You could have just said, you I, know. I didn't have anything for him to sign. Say my name is Chris. <laughs> No, just joking. Oh, Chris! If we're, oh man, oh no. that's a, that's another story altogether. But, well, that's um, cool. That's cool to actually talk to somebody like that. Yeah, but. yeah. But um, if anything, maybe we'll get to talk to them in the future. No problem. But um, we're gonna kind of sign off. Like we said, this is kind of the uh, hurricane day of um, Comic Con, uh, kind of calm before the storm. Uh, tomorrow, hopefully, we'll be um, bringing some good stuff to you guys. Um, I know that. I know that we're going to be doing a lot of stuff, and it will probably end up killing us, but that's okay. <laughs> but um, once again, we do want to let you guys know that, you know, check the blog spot. We're going to try to um, post some stuff up during uh, during during the day tomorrow, just like we did on Thursday. Um, and once again, anything that we do record, any of the panels or anything like that, we're going to... Put all that stuff up once we get back because we kind of don't know. We want to see what we have first and then kind of go from there. And then we'll put everything up. But, um, you know, once again, just, uh, you know, send in your comments through the Mecha Talk forums. Uh, send us any questions, comments, whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely get back with you. And we'll definitely get back with you tomorrow. And we'll be back here tomorrow night on Saturday doing the same thing. Probably sounding a lot worse. <laughs> Than we are now, but yeah, episode. It looks like right now episode fourteen is shaping up to be probably the most massive episode we we'll ever have. The lost episode, no less. But, <laughs> um, but um, I mean, we're going to be signing off. This is uh, Neo and Sobro Ryu, and you're listening to Gundam at MHQ.